be hard days, and that's okay. Just, you know, stick to your guns and go with slow. Science is awesome, it's fascinating, it sparks curiosity, and it's the reason most of us are alive today. But sometimes it sucks, from applying to funding, spending hours in the lab, to lack of representation in many science fields. On this podcast, we talk about the ins and outs of scientific research and how it impacts our lives. Welcome to Science Sucks. Hello, everyone. You're listening to episode, uh, what episode is it? It is episode 24 of the podcast. I'm Evie, neuroscientist, science communicator, grade three spelling bee winner, and host of the Science Sucks radio show and podcast. Welcome to the show. This week, we're talking to a researcher turned teacher. I met this wonderful human at ComSciCon Canada, a science communication conference for Canadian graduate students. And psst, if you don't know what ComSciCon is all about, you can check out episode 21 of the show for real-life testimonies from people who attended the conference. I say real-life testimonies as if I would make fake testimonies. <laughs> that honestly sounds harder than getting the real ones. Anyway, back to our guest of the week. She had a pretty compelling story when I talked to her at ComSciCon. She had quit her PhD to become a teacher. And that's what she's here to talk to us about today. She's a science communication whiz, a critic of burnout culture in academia, and a tutor at The Math Guru, an innovative math and science tutoring studio in Toronto. It's none other than Jelena Belasca da Silva. I am thrilled to present this interview to you. Now, just a quick note, the sound quality during our chat is far from ideal, and I'm doing some troubleshooting to bring you better and better sound quality for future episodes. So don't click away because Jelena has some hot tips for self-care, science communication, and good teaching practices. So without further ado, here is Jelena Belasca da Silva. So I would right now consider myself a science educator, being someone who started off as a scientist and is now venturing into teaching and education. So what I started off was probably where most people do, which is thinking about like elementary school and high school. Um, the only difference for me, though, is that I definitely got into science in high school as opposed to much younger when you hear about a lot of scientists starting off as, like, little kids, like, collecting samples or, like, playing with experiments in their basement. So, for me, the motivation was definitely my high school teachers. Just had a great selection of teachers there. Um, I had essentially, like, the disposal of teachers for uh, grade 10 and grade 12, which really motivated me to get me into the sciences. And specifically into biology, which I can also credit to being all the drama TV shows that were around when I was a teenager, being House and Grey's Anatomy, making me think I wanted to be a doctor. But only when I got to university did I realize medicine was not for me, and I was definitely more interested in the research side of things. So Pew, my first university professor, who really made me fall in love with genetics and evolution. And because of the school I was at, they just canceled the evolution uh, specialization for a degree. So I ended up going into genetics from there. Oh, no. Which was, I'm really happy I ended up going that way. Genetics was a ton of fun. Um, getting to learn all about DNA and doing a whole bunch of experiments and labs was great. I ended up joining a lab in fourth year to do a fourth year thesis project, which was with Grisopla, so the fruit fly. Uh, which definitely made me fall in love with insects because of it. So I will credit 
added that to it. And yeah, I tried to stay in that lab for my master's where I ended up doing some pretty cool, like, cutting-edge genetic technology research where I was trying to use CRISPR, which is something we might have heard about a bit in the news, being with, uh, I think it was last year, where the Chinese scientist actually used CRISPR as a way to unethically edit genes in humans. That's a whole other side story. But anyways, it was exciting for me, but it was also really daunting just because the project I took on was very neat to the lab. People had no idea really like how to help me um, and other people in the department as well didn't have a lot of like experience using CRISPR. And the thing is too is that when it comes to using a lot of different genetic technology, it's very specific for the species that you're working with. Not even like the general organism. Not even like, oh, it's the same way in all mammals or it's the same way to use in all insects. Like it's pretty much down to like this particular species, you have to do it this very specific way. And so my lab was focused a bit more on evolution in terms of looking at different types of species. So we were interested in trying to understand, like, why do we have so many different species here on Earth? And so we were doing that by looking at different species of fruit flies and trying to understand what are some of the behaviors that these different fruit flies exhibit that allows them to recognize members of their own species versus members of a different species. So trying to use this new technology in like species that no one really works with was definitely a challenge and it resulted in me learning what it feels like to have negative data essentially um, with a project. So it was a bit of like a, you know, sad experience in a way, but it definitely made me be more motivated to try and continue on into a PhD program where I ended up going to the University of Toronto and just staying there for a year, because afterwards I was like, you know what, research is not for me. I ended up falling in love with science outreach and specifically science education, and so I decided from there to try and become a teacher. Amazing. So you had a really, really <laughs> kind of deep research dive, um, and you were like, nope, not forever. Yeah, exactly. I thought it was good, and then I was like, nope, not for me. Yeah, that's really cool. So you studied how... Uh, specific species um, recognize themselves versus other species. Right. And I mean, to be quite blunt with it, I was pretty much looking at, like, how animals have sex in a way, because I was looking at female behavior and how females will, like, choose the mate. Because the males will usually approach, but it comes down to the females for choosing whether or not they want to reproduce with that particular male. Oh, yeah. I think I remember yeah. at ComSciCon, it was, like, the... Like, uh, why would do we find our own species sexy but not other species? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, this merged it with that. And then when I did that one year stint um, in a PhD program, it was looking at the same thing, but with nematode worms, which are super tiny, little see-through worms, essentially, you can find in your compost. And for them, as opposed to behavior, it was more of, like, how do their physiological structures, like, prevent them from mating with different species. This research topic killed me. Jelena studied why animals find their own species sexy, but not other species. Now, from a human perspective, this might be kind of weird. It's kind of hard to wrap our head around it. Like, duh, we know not to mate with animals that are not human. But remember, animals have different senses than we do, and they don't communicate like us, or see, or hear, or smell, or touch like us. So recognizing and identifying the world around them is much different than our experience of it. And what's more, there are no other human or human-like species living on Earth today. Our closest relatives are chimpanzees and bonobos, but there are no other homo sapien-like 
creatures. Now, I started reading the popular science book Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, and he talks about how there used to be other species that were not Homo sapiens, but they were human, like Neanderthals and Denisovan. I guess calling them human depends on what your definition of human being is. Now, our species did mate with Neanderthals and Denisovans, even though they were different species than us. I don't know, I found that interesting. It's a pretty wild book. Now, next up, I asked Delina how she ended up switching her career in a totally different direction from where she was headed. I feel like this is going to be like a little bit of a rant about how like academia is broken. Um, I love it. Stop me at any time. But yeah, it was, it was one of those things where, as I kind of explained, like my master's wasn't like where I was expecting it to go. Um, it was definitely a little bit challenging, and so I thought, like, you know what, I don't want to end my scientific career here, like, I want to continue on. I still, at the time, thought I really liked research, and I mean, I do still like research, it's just a matter of scientific research or not. So, when it came down to it, entering into the PhD program, where I was very excited, my background was very much in, as I kind of explained, like, hardcore genetics, um, you're in a lab, right, you're working there, like, you're doing things with organisms, and it's very heavily focused in the lab, and the department I went into was in the ecology and evolution department. So I found what that meant for me was that most people didn't really do a ton of like wet lab work. They did a lot of computer research, meaning that they were like writing code and just doing a lot of research in those regards. And so at the same time, there's also they also go in the field to like literally go outside and collect samples, which was something I've always wanted to do but never got the chance. But it definitely made me feel a little bit isolated in those regards because I was one of like the lone labs that I would clearly just work in the lab all day and all of my colleagues would be out doing what I saw at the time was like much more exciting things and I just found I wasn't able to really relate to a lot of people and a lot of people's projects in those regards. So it was hard to really like strike up a conversation about what I'm doing and why and find resources to help me with it. That being said, it was at a large university, so I was able to still find other people outside of my department to connect with in those regards, but I was definitely starting to feel like a little bit isolated and like, is this really what I want to do for the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so, from there, I ended up trying to just get out more, so I ended up going to a lot of outreach programs, Let's Talk Science, which is in like most university centers. Sci-High, which is specific for the University of Toronto. Uh, it's just through a hospital, and they have, like, all these really cool, like, they have fluorescent um, mice you can bring into classrooms and, like, teach uh, children about how you can, like, fluorescently tag genes. So I was very much into that and showing that to kids. So doing a lot of that, and then at the same time, too, I was able to organize a few things through the department itself. Um, a friend and I, we organized kind of like a workshop series on science communication for our colleagues, which was a ton of fun and taught me a lot about communication as well as how to organize the conference, which is very fun with that. So, anyways, it ended up being that over time, I kind of realized that this was definitely a lot more fun, and I ended up doing, well, I mean, you, you participated as well, it was a Soapbox Science Junior event. Yeah. Yeah, I did it um, the year prior to when we both did together, yeah. um, but yeah, I did it, and it just, doing that and interacting with kids and getting to explain science, it was that moment right there that I was like, I want to do this. And so the decision was made. Jelena dove more and more into science communication, eventually quitting her PhD to pursue teaching. So I asked her, what's next for her? I'm starting, I guess, just college is what we kind of commonly know it as. So I'm going to be doing that starting in the fall, uh, so learning how to teach science for 
high school students, which I'm very excited about. It should be super fun. Yay! Do you um, want to be a high school teacher? Is that the goal? I'm possibly. So I, the other thing I was looking at when I was trying to like understand if I wanted to like stop research or not uh, was to also look into science outreach opportunities and the coordinating a lot of those opportunities because I thought that would be really fun. So it turns out a lot of those do need a bit of like an education background, so like teaching or something in those regards. So I thought maybe to especially now with how the Ontario government likes to be handling, you know, education, yay, um, is looking into as well trying to coordinate outreach events and getting jobs in those areas, which I think would be really fun. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah, you once you're trained in that area, you can do other things related to it. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it should be pretty interesting. And then also just, you know, keeping busy with other small opportunities like tutoring and then also helping to organize a science of Ontario conference that's happening in March. Awesome. That's so exciting. So you yeah. can share best mm-hmm. practices. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I love tutoring. I tutored for like most of my life since I was in like late high school and it's so great. Oh, did you really? Yeah, yeah. it's fun. It's just nice to like interact with everyone and then teaching is always a great way of even like yourself learning, right? Even though you're teaching someone else. So it's, it's great. I always feel like you learn something new with it and you get to interact with people. Yeah. I, I always ask them, um, about myths and misconceptions in your field. So I know you've done research, so you can talk about myths oh, about okay. uh, what you research. I know uh, I can imagine CRISPR would have a lot of misconceptions recently. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of where I was going to go with it a lot for, especially now when you think about the technologies that are kind of broadcasted on the news, to kind of make it sound like, okay, this is like the be end and end all. Like, this is how we're going to do everything now, especially in regards to CRISPR. I think a big problem with that is I hinted about a bit in my research is the fact that a lot of these technologies are very, very specific to the organisms they're working with, where it's overall, like, it's going to work the same way, but you might have to make small tweaks here or there, which is going to take a little bit of time to try and figure those all out to optimize the system. So I think just misconceptions I just want, you know, general public to really look at and to understand is that, yes, you know, down the road, the next technology is going to be where we're at with everything, um, using it for personal medicine. You know, hopefully that would be amazing. But until then, there's still a long road to go to because things are not perfectly optimized. Even with CRISPR, like, there's new papers that come out, like, almost every other, like, month at this point where they're like, okay, like, we tried doing it this way that this other person did, but we found doing it this way is better. And then you'll have someone who does the opposite, and it just goes back and forth. So it really comes down to the techniques that the researchers like to use and the organism itself that they're doing it in. But we're still not quite there with knowing exactly all like the pitfalls and problems that could occur because of it, which is why we're still like working very, you know, slowly and timidly to not get it out quite into the public. And it's why when you heard about like gene technology being used on those twins and how unethical that was, because we have no idea if there's gonna be any repercussions for them down the road. Jolene is right. Science is a slow process and proceeding human testing without being absolutely sure of the effects is dangerous and reckless. You can check out science.sam on Instagram for more info on genetics, CRISPR, and the news that Jolena mentioned. Next up, I asked Jolena more about the, some of the challenges she faced in the fields of teaching and also her research. I would say uh, for challenges, I guess I can start with the teaching aspect since that's just what's on my mind right now. Mm-hmm. With it, it's always going to be, it comes down to the students themselves, right? Because the thing is that everyone learns a little bit differently. And so if you commit to just having one teaching style, it's going to make you very unproductive in how well you're able to communicate with your students. 
So it was very much about trying to be fluid and trying to be accommodating to a lot of different things. So sometimes the challenges are those, that sometimes if someone's just not understanding what you're trying to explain, and even though you've tried a couple of different ways and it's still not working, the challenges are simply to try and come up with even more opportunities and more ways to try and explain something, which can be challenging, right? Especially if it's a concept that you yourself fully understand. It can make it harder to try and simplify a lot of those things to make them accessible to people who don't quite understand what's happening, which to be honest, that's what I find fun, and I think that's why this is like a great like path that I've chosen, because I like trying to come up with these new ideas and things of how to do them, right, and make them more accessible. So, yeah, that's, that's how it goes really well with it. In terms of research, the challenge can always be, you know, just when you don't get data, right, or trying to come up with new experiments and, you know, just, just dealing with the pitfalls of research in those regards. And I think that's something that I struggled with. So if it's something you can find a way to make that exciting for yourself, say, okay, like maybe this didn't work, but you know what, I'm going to like really look into this and figure out if there's another way that I can go ahead and change it so maybe it'll work this time, right? Like that's what can be really exciting with it. The other thing too is what happens if you get negative data because nowadays what's happening in academia what really needs to change is you can't research if you have negative results which is bad. I think all results are what should be published because, hey, you still learn a lot from negative results, right? Not everything can always turn out in a certain way, right? And so it's good to learn from those and to share those with people because what if someone else is trying something similar? Well, they can see that maybe they're doing it similarly to how you did it and it allows you to realize you should change things about your approach. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of pressure to be, like, publishing, you know, this kind of data, but then that could uh, steer science in the wrong direction. Yeah, and it's definitely something that I encountered, too, because I never ended up publishing any of my results because they were negative, right? Yeah. So it's definitely something that can, you know, really hurt you because of it. To wrap it all up, do you have um, advice for young scientists out there or perhaps young um, teachers or people who are interested in teaching as well? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I would just say to anyone is just do what you love, right? For I found that, like, in my family, at least, a lot of the motivation for, like, why you should get into stuff is money, right? Like, when I told my parents and, like, just regular family members, I'm like, oh, I want to be a doctor when I grow up. Everyone's like, oh, yay, that's, like, a field that's full of cash, right? And then when you tell them, like, actually, no, I don't, right? It's kind of like, why not? Like, why wouldn't you? Like, that is that's where all the money is. And I remember when I ended up enrolling in a PhD program, I had someone be like, wait, but why aren't you being a doctor? I'm like, because I don't want to. And they're like, but you're being a doctor anyways. Why don't you do the one that has more money? (laughs) Because I don't want to. (laughs) Like, it can be tough sometimes in society and how you're judged for your decisions. So it all comes down to just do what makes you happy because listening to other people is not necessarily going to be the great thing to do with that. Um, For the young scientists, you know, like, Go out there, right? Do your best. Look into research that you're interested in and just try and stay passionate, right? Even when things don't work out, like just, you know, keep pushing forward. Make sure there's things that are in your life that allow you to balance that because there can be like really like long falls in science that can really push you down and affect your mental health. But make sure you have a good support system out there for you and that you have other ways that you find fun, like, or, sorry, other things that you can do to let you have fun just because, you know, research might be what you're passionate about, which is amazing, 
But sometimes dealing with the ups and downs can be hard. So make sure you can, like, do exercise or watch a TV show, like, binge Netflix or something, just to kind of keep you in a good mood. Yeah, yeah. And then for, yeah. And then last but not least, sorry, this is, like, a huge, like, I'm just like, yeah, it's motivation. Um, for teachers as well, right, there can be long and hard days. I still don't really know about it. I haven't had too much experience with teaching. It's one that I will get into, but it's from what I've heard from other teachers as well. It's simply just, you know, there's going to be hard days, and that's okay. Just, you know, stick to your guns and go with slow. Yes, yes. I love your advice. It's very motivating. I think we don't talk about it enough. <laughs> oh, good, yes. Yes, because we don't talk about it enough, like, how to self-care and how to, you know, have fun and still be a whole entire person. Right, yeah. And I feel like, at least, like, in the last couple of years, it's been a little bit more of a hot topic. But either way, like, especially, especially in academia, sorry, this is just almost in my rant, but it's, it's just when you're pushed to be like, oh, you only work 50 hours a week? Like, what's wrong with you? It's like, no, that that is wrong, right? Like, you can't always be working. You're not productive in those ways. Like, you need to take breaks. You can't be working for long hours, like, every single week, like, that's insane. Yes, absolutely. The self-care conversation is coming up more and more in science fields. You aren't just your job. You're a whole living, breathing human being with friends, family, relationships, hobbies, and passions. I have come to realize that no grade or job or opportunity is worth harming my body and well-being to achieve. And yes, it's important to keep working towards your goals and continue stepping out of your comfort zone, but the burnout culture has got to go. Now that Jelena's diving into SciComm and teaching, I asked her to tell me more about some of the opportunities she's heard of to do science communication. For anyone interested in SciComm, you might want to pull out a pen and paper to take some notes for this next part. Oh, so yes, you do a lot of science outreach. Um, so th- some of them you mentioned uh, earlier, um, but if you want to talk a bit more about some of the science communication opportunities or experiences that you've had that other people might be interested in too. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I find with science communication, the one drawback I would say with it is a lot of it is catered towards graduate students. Um, so it can be a little bit challenging to sometimes try and find them. But if anyone in undergrad or younger is interested, it's definitely worthwhile just to reach out to those organizations to just see. Because, I mean, no one's going to say no to people who are interested for, like, free labor, essentially, because all of these things, they're always volunteer. Mm-hmm. So Let's Talk Science is a huge one. It's national, so you can find it all over Canada. It's usually situated within the universities themselves. So they'll have, like, little, like, setups within and it's really fun because they allow you to do a number of different things. The most popular one is to let you go into classrooms and teach science concepts to students. Another one is if you're more interested in the in the writing of science, you can join. They have, I'm not 100% sure of what they are, but they're kind of like blog posts where you can go ahead and write things like that. So those are really cool opportunities. That being said, um, you can look and see if other schools have more specific science outreach opportunities. I know, so the University of Toronto, just where that's the experience I've had, they have Let's Talk Science, and then they also have one that's specifically for engineering students, and they also have one that I mentioned slightly earlier, Sci-High, so that's through one of the hospitals in Toronto, and so it allows you to bring in some live organisms to have students look at them, and you can talk a bit about like the science behind them. So, for example, we bring in fruit flies that have a teen mutation in them that causes them to kind of like almost faint uh, when they are exposed to high heat. Then 
there's also the fluorescent mice. So you can kind of bring in and talk about all these different things, allowing you to talk about genetic technology, which is really fun. Other things as well, if you're really interested in writing, there's a lot of different blogging opportunities. I know there's Science Borealis, which is one of them. I'm not totally um, knowledgeable about a lot of those opportunities, but there's definitely things like that you can look into um, and see a little bit more. And then there's also a bunch of like workshops and conferences you can probably find. I created one at the University of Toronto with a friend of mine. So it was just one for the one year, but we're kind of hoping someone else would take it on. So there's always opportunities. You just have to reach out to the department and find funding. And they're usually pretty open. If there's students who want to like, create an initiative to run a workshop, they're usually pretty grateful about like helping you out with it. And then also what we went to, which is uh, CompSci ConCan. So it's a really awesome opportunity to, if you have some experience with science communication, to apply and get to learn so much more about it. And then other than that, um, if you want to look for work, Honestly, starting with tutoring, which is where I am, is really fun because you are still engaging with science and you get to teach it to kids to be inspired about it. Um, and then finally, the last one I can think of on the top of my head is another job that I had through Action Potential Lab. This one is through Toronto as well. But they work at doing after-school programs that bridge the gap between art and science. So I'm not too sure if there's these opportunities available in other cities, but it's definitely worthwhile to go ahead and look into them. And if not, why not create it yourself? Yeah, that's amazing. That sounds so fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I knew about some of them, but um, I didn't know about the, like the Action Potential Lab and other programs. Yeah, there's a lot that are kind of like a little bit more like smaller businesses that you don't know about unless you do like a lot of Google searches, but there's <laughs> always going to be something out there. Yeah, and I'm always hoping for more things that aren't for graduate students as well, because that's always a challenge if you're not it in grad is, school. It really is, and it's frustrating at times too, right? Because it's, science communication isn't always made known to everyone, so you sometimes don't find out about it until graduate school, which is not too late, but it's like you could have a completely different career path if you learned about it sooner. Yeah, exactly, Cause, uh, especially because uh-huh. grad students are obviously very busy, so wouldn't it be awesome to have science communicators who are, um, that's their full-time job or their part-time job or they're, you know, have a nine-to-five and their evenings are free, so there's, like, different people that could do exactly. it. Oh, actually, and that doesn't mind me, there is actually an organization, it was started by, I think it was two siblings when they were in high school, STEM Kids Rock. Yes, yes. Okay, so my microphone cut out at this exact moment thankfully, at the very end of our interview, so no worries. Even more luckily, I already knew about STEM Kids Rock, an organization run by kids for kids. In fact, I've already interviewed co-founder Keely Aird right on this podcast. You can scroll through past episodes until you reach episode 12 to find it. Now, let's wrap it up with Jelena's social media handles. For sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, so it's at Jelena underscore BB. That is pretty much where I post for most of my stuff that I'm doing in a professional capacity. Yeah. And that's it for today's episode. If you loved what Jelena had to say, you can go follow her on Twitter, like she said, at Jelena underscore B. 
Side note, there's another great podcast from Vanessa Vicaria who runs the Math Guru Tutoring Center that Jelena works at. It's from the podcast Unladylike and it's called How to Solve Math Probs. I've linked it in the show notes. Vanessa talks about math anxiety, how there's no such thing as, in quotes, not being a math person, and some helpful life advice for anyone trying to learn something new. To keep the conversation going online, follow the podcast at ScienceSucksPod on Twitter, rate and review us on iTunes so other folks can find the show. I'm Evie, and my little bit of advice this week, don't be afraid to try a new path if your current one isn't working for you. You may just surprise yourself. Goodbye from me, and have an amazing week.